The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. We will not be taking calls today. What is an excuse? You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining today. What is an excuse? It's a self-justification. It's the reason you give for why you cannot do what is expected, or you cannot be what is expected. Now, when you come to God, what is an excuse? It's telling God or telling others or telling ourselves why we can't do what he has asked us to do. There are many, many such excuses. Probably the most common excuse I hear, Pastor, I just can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible to live without sin before God. It's impossible not to have lust in my heart. It's impossible. Let's consider for a minute what we're saying. We are saying that God, that Jesus, is a liar. And we are saying he is a liar in order to protect ourselves we must have an excuse for our sin. We are blaspheming God to justify ourselves. It's a very serious matter. Let me read just a couple of portions of Scripture and you'll quickly begin to understand what I'm saying to you. When we go to the book of 1 John, 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John, the third chapter. Let me begin reading with verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. It says this in the book of John. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared to destroy the, was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. So if you have been born from above, you have been born again, not sin. Very clear. The reason the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. What is the devil's work? No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. Because he has been born. So according to 1 John, 
cannot say that you have been saved from sin. Continue to read. Now, again, in this same book of John, verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. Loving out his this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdens for everyone born of God overcomes this is the victory that has overcome the world in our faith is it that overcomes the world only he who believes that is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood. It's Christ. Bear with you other passages that will say the same thing. Chapter 1, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus. So then comes the most common excuse hard. It's impossible. Pastor, we all sin every day, many times. And they say our walk with Jesus is one foot forward, next foot forward, face, saying we're covered by the grace of Jesus. This is a lie. It's an excuse. We are called to walk clean before God. You look at John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself my disciple. As the Father has loved me, have I loved you? Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's very clear. Go to the book of Hebrews. Turn there quickly. Go to the book of Hebrews. In the ninth chapter, let me begin reading for you at verse 26 then Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. That is, if his blood was not adequate. 
but now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. That word in the Greek is that is translated take away is literally to take up, to pick up off. In other words, if I have a glass of water sitting here on my desk beside me and I pick that glass up, is it on the desk anymore? No, it's in my hand. I've picked it up. That's what the Greek word actually means, that Jesus came to pick the sin up off your life. If he picks it up, is it in your life anymore? No, absolutely not. In other words, right now, Jesus has sacrificed himself in order to lift up off your life your sin. Then it says, he will appear a second time. Consider that the rapture. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And that word in the Greek, to bear, to bear sin, means literally to separate from, to set apart from. It's saying, that when Jesus comes again, he is not coming to separate us from our sin. So if you believe today that you will continue walking in sin until you die, and then the sin issue will be taken from your life, you are in direct contradiction to the scriptures. The scriptures say that when Jesus meets you, it is not going to be to take up your sin. It's not going to be to separate you from your sin. He is going to come again in order to bring salvation in its fullness to you because he, you have already allowed him to take away, to lift up off your life that sin. Now, in this context, let me share quickly what one listener said to me that that was helpful to him. Many of you struggle with thoughts. And you say, how can I be righteous? How can I be without sin? With these vile thoughts that come into my mind. These lustful thoughts and feelings that come into my mind. I heard one preacher say, and it was absolutely right. You cannot stop a bird from from landing on your head, but you can stop him from nesting in your hair. In other words, the devil has the power to ignite certain thoughts in your mind. But you can very quickly say, in the name of Jesus, I do not receive that. I will not go there, Satan. Get thee behind me. I am finished with that kind of thinking. And it's finished. It will be gone. In fact, in the face of every one of the devil's temptations, how did Jesus meet those temptations? He met those temptations with the sword of the Spirit. Quoted scripture to the devil. Nothing is so designed to drive temptation from your heart, as is quoting scripture. Once you are connected with Jesus Christ and you are walking in righteousness before him, simply picking up the sword of the Spirit will drive the enemy quickly from your heart. Let's deal a little more question of excuse. 
want to share with you today a few brief words from a book called God's Call. And these are selected sermons preached by Charles Finney. Charles Finney, as many of you know, was a great Bible preacher. But he was very much out of step with the hyper-Calvinist. And in fact, he's very much out of step today with those who call themselves Reformed. For example, in his teaching, he believes that God has given you the ability out of Genesis 3.15, say no to sin. He believes that entire sanctification as taught first most clearly by John Wesley, is a present-day experience that we can all have. He taught also that man was not powerless, that he could repent if he chose to repent. Now, he also believed that We are saved by faith. But that faith is not imputed faith. That faith is real faith that Jesus Christ brings and makes us righteous. You recognize these are the same things that I teach consistently on this radio broadcast. I'd like to share with you a few of the things that he says about making excuses. These were in concluding remarks of a sermon entitled The Excuses of Sinners Condemn God. He writes, No sinner under the light of the gospel lives a single hour in sin without some excuse either implied or expressed, by which he justifies himself. It seems to be a law of man's intelligent nature that when accused of wrong, either by his conscience or by any other agent, he must either confess or justify himself. The latter is the course taken by all impenitent sinners. Thus we see why sinners have so much opportunity for excuses and why they find it convenient to have such a great variety of them. It is remarkable with what ease they fly from one to another, as if these refuges of lies might make up in number what they lack in strength. They are aware that not one of their multitude of excuses is valid. Yet when questioned about one, they fly to another, and when driven from all of them in succession, they are ready to come back and fight the same argument all over again. It is so hard for them to abandon all excuses and admit the humbling truth that they themselves are all wrong, and God is all truth. Hence it becomes the great business of a minister of the gospel to search out and expose the sinner's excuses, to go all around and, if possible, demolish the sinner's refuge of lies and to lay his heart open to the arrows of truth. Excuses make repentance impossible. For excuses are self-justifications. And who does not know that self-justification is the very opposite of confession and repentance? To seek and embrace excuses, therefore, is to place oneself at the furthest possible point from repentance. Now I'd like to stop and make a comment or two. I have a dear brother I've 
constantly tried to pastor over the years. He has utterly given over for part of the time to sexual impurity, to lust, to fornication. And he has utterly given over to this darkness perhaps a week, two weeks, three weeks, for he finally begins to come to his senses and begins to repent. And as he repents, he turns to a very self-righteous issue. And this is a very common occurrence. It happened in King Saul's life. You remember when King Saul was battling in one of his first wars, he commanded that no one was allowed to eat until they had vanquished all of King Saul's enemies. And Jonathan, not knowing this, reached out his staff and took some honey, some wild honey, and ate it. And they told him, the soldiers said, Didn't you know your father cursed any person who would do this? No, I didn't know. My father has done wrong. We should have had something to eat. We would be stronger in our fight. Well, when they had dinner around the fire's camp, King Saul said, let's, let's go and continue this war. Let's finish what we've started. But call the priest and let's ask him if God will answer and give us victory. So the priest came and there was no answer. God would not answer Saul. He was going to expose something in Saul's heart. And so King Saul said, let's find out who has sinned. Finally, the lot fell between himself and Jonathan. And he said, look, whatever you've done, tell me, confess. And Jonathan said, all I did was reach out my staff and take some wild honey, not knowing that you had cursed the person who would do that. And King Saul said, you must die. Execute my son. He has sinned against God. He has blocked my way from being successful in this war. Well, it was it's not Saul who took the army to the Philistines. It was Jonathan who had taken the, the lead. It was under his anointing that the Holy Spirit moved and brought a great panic on the Philistines. And all of the soldiers spoke up to their new king. And they said, no, Jonathan is not going to die. It was, it was through him that God moved to rescue us. Well, King Saul was very angry. He was very self-righteous. And I find that often a person who consistently will walk in sin will have short periods of time where they do not walk in sin and during that time, they become very self-righteous. And interestingly, this man that I'm speaking of, in his very self-righteous condition, after repenting for all of his fornication, all of his abusing of women, then says, now a woman must be under the authority of a man, and they must have their heads covered, and a woman is not allowed to speak in church, and a woman can't preach. And a woman can't minister to a man. And he quotes all of the scriptures that, for me, simply have cultural references. To prove his point, he becomes very self-righteous. And I listen to his self-righteousness. And I say, no, my brother, wrong. We're to follow the teachings of the theology, the Apostle Paul, not the cultural practices of the Apostle is adamant in his disagreement. So on one hand, he wants to go and walk in the sin of his lust, in the abuse of women. And out of the next breath, after he's repented of that sin, wants to dodge into, women are not allowed to preach. Now it's interesting to me that in the holiness tradition, women are welcome to preach. In the Reformed 
tradition, women are not allowed to speak in church. In fact, it was funny. Emmanuel's Church in Springfield, Virginia, a strong Reformed congregation, would not allow a woman to preach or minister. But they would have Kay Arthur's videos in their bookstore where Kay Arthur is ministering the gospel and preaching the gospel. Of course, that was a prophet sent. So yes, we can have Kay Arthur, but we can't have a woman preach. This hypocrisy is usually seen in those congregations and in those churches that hold strongly that you will always be a sinner, that you can never give up your sin. On one hand, it's a self-righteousness and a putting down of women. And on the other hand, they're free to walk in the sin because they believe they're saved and they're on their way to heaven. See the hypocrisy. Many excuses function this way. On one side, we make an excuse for why we can't do something that God wants us to do. And on the other hand, we'll go overboard in another area to justify ourselves and say, look, we're righteous. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And on the other hand, we can't do what we're supposed to do. These excuses blaspheme God. The excuse that it's too hard. That God is asking me for the impossible. Let me ask a question. Did you hear the scriptures that I read in 1 John, 3rd chapter, the 5th chapter, the 1st chapter? To read what I have read out of Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Now, if you insist that a man or woman must always walk in sin and that you cannot be delivered totally and completely, then are you not saying that God's word is lying? Are you not saying that God is not speaking the truth? Are you not giving the excuse that this is too hard? Another excuse that I often receive as pastor, look, I've tried. I have honestly tried. Can't do it. Well, again, that's an excuse. It's an excuse because... Jesus never tells us that we must do it. He says that he will do it. He says that if you will come to him and you will confess your sin, he will wash and purify your heart. He will purge you of all uncleanliness. He will wipe away your sin. He will lift the sin up off of your life. Now, want to remain your excuse and blaspheme the name of God and say that God is a liar? Or are you willing to give up your excuse and recognize that everything of wickedness is from your heart and everything of righteousness is from God's heart? Let me continue with this material from Mr. Finney. Of course, the self-excusing sinner makes it impossible for God to forgive him. He places the deity in such a position toward himself, and he places himself in such an attitude toward the government of God that his forgiveness would be destruction to the throne of God. Let me say exactly what I think he's meaning. If you get down on your knees and you confess your sins 
and you repent of that sin. You ask God to forgive you for that sin. And you go right back to your sin. You are scorning the Lord Jesus Christ. You are insulting the grace of God. Because you are saying the blood of Jesus does not have the power to deliver me. And so I must suffer through repenting for my sin time after time after time. I must ask for forgiveness daily. Because God's power will not deliver me. Are you sure you want to make those accusations against the God of heaven? Are you really comfortable justifying yourself before a holy God? Or are you ready to cast aside all excuses and take full responsibility for your behavior and for your sin? And are you willing to allow Jesus to lift up off your life all sin, all unrighteousness? What would heaven say, and hell and earth beside, if God were to forgive a sinner while he by his excuses is justifying himself and condemning his maker? When you say to me, Pastor, it's impossible for me to leave my sin, you are justifying yourself and you are condemning Jesus. And Who is the accuser, brethren? Is it not Satan? When you take the position that says, I can never leave my sin, known sin, the man who says, I can't leave my alcohol, the man who says, I can't leave the lust of my heart, the person who says, I have a bitter and angry heart, and I can't do anything about it. God will just have to accept me the way I am because he made me, and this is who I am. All of these are simply excuses that blaspheme the name of Jesus and make it impossible for Jesus to forgive you. He says, sinners should lay all of their excuses at once before God. Surely this is most responsible. Suppose that a man owes me a large sum of money and that he has a reasonable excuse for not paying the debt. Should he come to me and try to get me to understand the whole case, perhaps he will satisfy me that his views are correct. Now, sinner, Have you ever done this in regard to God? Why not? Have you ever brought up even one excuse before the Lord saying, You require me to be holy, but I cannot be, Lord. I have a good excuse for not obeying you. No. Sinner, you are not in the habit of doing this, You probably have not done this even once in your whole life. In fact, you have no good reason to carry your excuses before God, for you do not have one that you will believe yourself. You're trusting in a refuge of lies. Isaiah 28, 17. Your excuses won't stand the ordeal of your own reason and conscience. How then can you hope that they will stand before the searching eye of Jehovah? When I talk with people, I ask them, Is there anything between you and Jesus? Is there any any sin that stands between you? Are you washed clean? Are you walking holy before God? Many times individuals will begin to weep when I ask them that. I understand why. Any person with a sensitive conscience, any person who has not 
seared completely their heart and their mind and their conscience. Knows if you're honest that your sin is unacceptable for God. But then if you were offered the opportunity to believe that when Jesus comes or when you die, he'll remove that sin from you, then you can postpone the day of reckoning in regard to your sin. But your conscience still pricks you. Even if you say, I can't help it. What difference does it make? Your conscience will still prick you. And you will make an excuse. The fact that you have never come to God with your excuses shows that you have no confidence in me. But I find that many people do come to God with their excuses. And one young man said to me, God is going to have to just accept me the way I am because he made me this way. It's not my fault I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner. I'm going to die a sinner. And it's God's fault. Really? You want to blame the only one who has ever loved you, the only one who has ever made provision for you, the only one who was willing to die. Now, how seriously does God take sin? Well, it's the most expensive commodity in the world. It costs the blood of Jesus Christ to wipe it away. And yet you think you can hold on to your sin with some feeble excuse that you can't do anything about it? Yes, you can. What infinite madness to rest on excuses. How can you stand before God in the judgment in your excuses? Sinner, that coming day will be far more searching and awful than anything you have seen yet. See that dense mass of sinners gathered before the great white throne? As far as the eye can see, they come surging up, countless throng. Now as they stand, the awful trumpet of God summons them forward to bring forth their excuses for sin. Sinners. Any one of you or all of you can you can tell me why my sentence should not be passed upon you. Now, where are all those excuses you were once so free and bold to make? Where are they all? Why don't you make them now before the throne of God? Why don't you say to God, God of heaven, you made me a sinner. I had no power to resist it. My sin is your fault. Or do you think that will go, Jesus? When he replies to you, My friend, did I not die on Calvary? Did I not shed my blood to pay the price for your sin and for its removal from your life? Yes then what of your excuse? It is empty. God waits. He listens. There is silence in heaven. All through the congregated throng, for half an hour, Revelation 8.1, it is an awful silence that may be felt There is not a word, not a moving lip among the gathered myriads of sinners. Now the great and dreadful judge arises and lets loose his thunders. See the waves of dire damnation roll over the masses of self-condemned sinners. Did you ever see a judge rise from his bench in court to press the sentence of death on a criminal? The poor man reels. There is no longer any strength in him 
for death is upon him, and his last hope has perished. O sinner, fear the day when that sentence from the awe-inspiring throne falls on you. Your excuses will be like millstones around your neck as you plunge down the side of the pit to the lowest part of hell. What are your excuses? How have you blasphemed God? Are you willing to bring those excuses before Him now? Cast them aside. Sinners don't need their excuses. God does not ask for even one excuse. He does not require you to justify yourself, not at all. If you needed them for your salvation, I could sympathize with you, and certainly I would help you if I could, but you don't need them. Your salvation does not depend on your your successful self-vindication. You need not rack your brain for excuses. It is better to say, I don't want my excuses. I do not have one excuse that is even worth straw. You could also better say, I am wicked. God knows this to be the truth, and it would be futile for me to attempt to conceal it. I am wicked, and if I ever live, must be simply on his mercy. Sinners ought to be ashamed of their excuses and repent of them. Perhaps you've not always seen this as plainly as you may see it right now. With the light now before you, it would suit you to beware. See to it that you never make another excuse unless you intend to abuse God in the most horrible manner. Nothing can be more serious Nothing is more of an abomination in the sight of God than excuses made by a sinner who knows that they are utterly false and blasphemous. Sinner, you ought to repent of the insult you have already offered to God, lest you find yourself thrust away from the gate of mercy. Phone number today in studio is 877-534. 0780. Have you been trusting in excuses? Have you been justifying yourself for your continued rebellion against the Most High God? Have you been angry against the preaching that you've been hearing on this radio broadcast because it violates your excuses? Because it tears away the excuses you have to be able to continue enjoying the sin that draws your heart. The teaching of Scripture is that by the blood of Jesus we are justified. That is, we are made righteous in real time. Now, Christ dwelling in us, the hope of glory. And I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. We have a few minutes. Yes, Brother Pastor, I, I've just been so encouraged. Uh, I'm on the road to Woodbridge, and I just wanted to uh, actually give a solid amen. You know, excuses basically is our ability to still control. And um, no one knows that better than I. I think that it, it, it's obvious to me that only way to receive mercy is to lose the control. You know, even when we can admit our sins, even that isn't enough if we still want to keep with that admitting the sin, the control of our lives. Because most of the people that are hearing this word right now don't really know what it means for somebody else to have control of your destiny. You're not just giving up your sin, you're giving up your life. And for some of you, that's really more the issue. 
if I give up my sin, I won't have control and I will not be able to make the decisions that I want to make. In other words, I can't be God. And that's really have been the stronghold of my own life and my own experience. And I thank God for this word because this word kills the excuses. If you want to be God, you don't have to listen to this word. But if you want to be a servant, if you want to be a son of the master, if you want to say, Lord Jesus, it's all yours, this is exactly the word you need. So I want to encourage those who are listening to terrified call in. Call in and let Pastor Ray preach the word to you. He will pray with you. He won't condemn you. He's going to pray that that lying thing of Satan won't stay over you, and you won't make that step in that move, because you're not just, you know, you're picking fruit and said, this is and this is that. Your control, you want to be God, rule over your heart, rule over your life. That's where the source of sin is coming from. And you need to understand that you can't improve your life. We have a God of mercy that Pastor just finished preaching about that has already taken care of our sin. If we'll just lay our heart, our soul, our will at the altar of mercy, God can't do nothing with it until we give it to him at the altar. And I want to thank God for this word because there is not a clear word anymore going across the radio waves of repentance. And I thank God for this ministry. Thank you, John Kevin. Thank you. God bless you. Already. I also want to thank those of you who are helping to sponsor and support the National Prayer Chapel in this work of Pilgrim's Progress on the radio. Every dime you give goes straight to the radio bill each month. And I encourage you to be faithful in tithes and offerings for where you are taught. Write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. We don't need the excuses. You don't need the excuses. But there is a fire that burns in the heart of every sinner man. And you can cover it over with the proclaimed self-righteousness. You can cover it over with a legalistic bent. But that blazing fire in your heart has to be extinguished. It's a blazing fire that will take you to hell. And we make excuses in order to keep it burning not to die out, not to become new creatures in Christ Jesus. If you acknowledge your obligation, then it makes it impossible for you to continue with your excuses. If any one of you listening today to this broadcast has a good excuse for disobeying God, you're no longer under obligation to obey. But there are no good excuses because the blood of Jesus Christ paid the full penalty. You are compelled to acknowledge your obligation. You are also compelled, if you're truthful, to relinquish your excuses. One man said to me, I have sinned for so long and I've been such a gross sinner. Jesus would never forgive me. I can't repent. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can repent now. You don't have to get clean before you come to Jesus. You come in all of your filth and all of your dirt. You come with all the wickedness of your heart. You open your heart without excuse and say, This is what I have done, Jesus, and I was wrong. And I repent, and I will not do it again. Give me now the strength you promised to walk clean before you. And as you repent, and as you are honest, and as you make restitution where possible for what you have stolen, or where you have lied, or or whatever you have done that has been even criminally offensive, the power of God will sweep into your life. Excuses simply keep you from the healing power of the blood of Jesus. 
So what will you do today? Will you acknowledge your obligation to give up your excuses? Or will you still plead your excuses? Will you insult God to his face? Will you insult God by accusing him of tyranny, of demanding the impossible? Now, what is it that we must do? Are you ready to say from now on, I will cease from all my excuses now and forever, and God will have my whole heart? Or will you begin to hunt up some new excuse? Do you say, let me think about it first? Don't urge me to yield to God here on the spot. Let me think about it, and then I will. Do you say this? Right now, you've been listening to the word of God being spoken. Right now, the Holy Spirit is present in the studio and in your car or in your home, in your office. Will you right now make a vow before God as he presses his claim on your heart? Will you give up your excuses? And will you repent today, right now, You know your duty. You know what the Christian faith is. You know you desire to follow Jesus. But will you do it? Will you abandon all your excuses and fall as a self-condemned sinner before a God of love and yield yourself to him, your heart, your whole being, now and forever. Will you do it now? Will you resolve now to dedicate all of your life to God, all of your thoughts, all of your words, all of your actions? Will you ask him to erase in your heart the fire of sin? Almighty God, close this broadcast. Move with hearts of Would you cause them to cast aside now as they hear this word all of their excuses? Would you cause them to get on their face before you and say, Lord, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, no more excuses? Will you send your power to them now, Jesus? I pray in your holy name. Amen. I invite you to come to the Many of you have said, Pastor, I'd like to come to the prayer chapel, but then you've made excuses. The National Prayer Chapel meets on Sunday at 12 noon at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find the full address with a map. Come and worship with us. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.